Okay, hello everyone and welcome to Actus Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI, sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, May 3rd, marks our 67th program. My name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Actus Conference Preview, the post-acute care setting, integrating CDI into multiple outpatient settings. So today's show completes our run-up of session previews, taking you all the way to the start of our 10th annual Actus Conference next week in Las Vegas. I hope you can join us for our biggest event of the year. So I'm joined today by my uh, frequent co-host, Sharm Brody. Sharm uh, is a CDI education specialist here with us at Actus and HC Pro, where she serves as a full-time instructor for our CDI boot camps, as well as a subject matter expert for Actus. Just briefly, her eight years of CDI experience includes a background in consulting, in which she provided program reviews and training to the medical staff, including physician education to various healthcare facilities, She's also uh, implemented and overseen a CDI department in a small community hospital and helped with the revitalization of CDI at another facility, and I'm glad to have her back on. So welcome to the program, Charm. Nice to be here, Brian, and congratulations on 67. That's amazing. <laughs> We're still going. As long as people We're want. still going. All right. Now I'd like to introduce our uh, industry guest today. We have with us uh, Catherine DeWalt. Kathy is the manager of Health Information Management Consulting Services at UASI, or United Audit Solutions, Inc. in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Kathy has more than 25 years of experience at HIM. Most recently, uh, she served as the Senior Director of HIM Practice Excellence Coding and Reimbursement for AHIMA. 2008 through 2014. Uh, she's been one of the primary content developers and instructors for the AHIMA ICD-10 CMPCS Academy since 2009. She's presented many seminars and educational sessions and is going to be presenting with us next week at Actus. I'm very pleased to have her for the first time on the show. So welcome to Actus Radio, Kathy. Thank you, Brian. I'm really happy to be joining both of you today. All right, great. Well, as I always do, I'm going to um, start with a poll question related to today's topic. We ask you to select the uh, result that is most pertinent to you, and we'll come back to the results in a few minutes. So we're asking you to weigh in on, have you expanded your CDI department to include the post-acute setting? Um, your options are yes, ambulatory clinics and services, uh, yes, rehab and or skilled nursing. Yes, uh, maybe the home-based, home health-based services. Uh, no or not applicable. Again, have you expanded your CDI department to include the post-acute setting? Your options are yes, ambulatory clinics and services, rehab and or skilled nursing, home-based services, no um, or not applicable. And there's other settings, of course, here that you could expand to, but 
this program only allows me five options. So those are your options, and uh, we'll go ahead and close that out, and we'll come back to the results in just a few minutes. Great. All right. Well, let's go ahead and start with our interview today. Again, as I mentioned, our guest today is Kathy DeVault. Again, welcome to the program, Kathy, and thanks for being a part of, of Actus Radio. Um, I thought we could just start with some of the general trends that you've seen that may have prompted CDI to move into the, you know, a non-traditional post-acute space. Is it maybe because that CDI, you know, the traditional acute care model has, has maxed out its effectiveness? Are there any, are there any uh, risks or overlooked opportunities in the post-acute space or, or anything regulatory driving this change? Thanks, Brian. I, you know, I think the first thing is I don't believe um, inpatient CDI, acute inpatient CDI has maxed out its effectiveness. I think as an industry, we've gotten very good at acute care inpatient CDI, although, you know, anyone who works in this space, CDI and coding, will tell you that uh, we're, we've never maxed it out because we always have documentation challenges on that hospital inpatient side. But I think what we've realized as an industry is there's a much larger opportunity. Um, inpatient acute care CDI was a logical place to start, you know, looking at opportunities related to DRGs, CC, MCC, all of those kind of captures and just overall documentation improvement. And now that we've gotten better at that, and actually it's more than better, we've gotten very good at that, is now how do we take what we've learned in that inpatient setting and, ex and expand it out? How do, we, how do we identify different opportunities? And I think in, in probably every outpatient setting, we have an opportunity, although different, to improve documentation. Uh, and I think related to regulatory, there's absolutely opportunities. You know, there's lots of conversation happening with HCCs and risk adjustment and also uh, MACRA because the MACRA data being collected in 2017 will start impacting provider reimbursements in 2019. And that's significant. And it, as we all know, it all um, relates directly back to documentation. Oh, absolutely. very good. Kathy, this is Sharm. Um, you just mentioned some opportunities. Can you take the audience through some examples of these opportunities? Um, I hear a lot about rehab in my classes, so maybe we could start with rehab, but some absolutely. of the post-acute opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Sharm. Um, inpatient rehab's at a really big area, and you know, it used to be, I want to say before ICD-10, um, inpatient rehab was a bit of a slam dunk. Not completely, but there was a, you know, we had a, we had a one principal diagnosis we assigned to every case and we assigned those secondaries as needed to be. And now with, with ICD-10, they changed the guidelines related to coding inpatient rehab cases and it's no longer a, a generic V or in the case of ICD-10, a Z code. And we actually assign the reason for the admission to rehab, um, which, in you know, in my mind, I I kind of like that because we're our data is much more robust, although it's it's pro, pro, proved to be a bit challenging. So I think just that we need better specificity, we need better documentation about why we're moving them into rehab. And I've had lots of conversations with well, we're we're moving them to rehab because they had a stroke. Well, we don't treat them for a stroke in rehab anymore. That was their acute care setting. So. 
what our documentation needs to be specific as to what are we treating in rehab? Is it the dysphagia? Is it um, the hemiparesis, et cetera? So our opportunities to improve that documentation are, is all, are always there. I think rehab is, um, you know, I hate to use the word easy, but it's one of those areas that it's it's a natural progression for CDI to move into. And um, um, oftentimes with rehab, you're working with a smaller group of providers because a lot of times there's a medical director to a rehab unit and they're driving that documentation and that patient's care plan. And so it's it's a it's a more confined audience, if you will. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Yeah, I mean, you've identified some, some good opportunities for starting there, you know. Um, skilled nursing, home health, hospice, those areas, these are areas we, we really infrequently see, at least from my perspective, um, not areas in which we typically see CDI operate. Are there, are there opportunities there? And, um, you know, I mean, something like home health is just, uh, you know, I know it op operates with a very different set of rules and, 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 a, and a form that has to be filled out and, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about that because I see you're going to be addressing this with our audience a little bit next week. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. And I think you hit on a really um, important point is these are really different settings and they have all really different requirements. Um, I always find it interesting when I talk to, to individuals outside of this world we live in is like, what do you mean you use the same coding book? Um, why is it different for everybody? And, and that's really important and I think that's, that's important for CDI professionals to be aware of as they think about expanding their skill set outside of, you know, the acute hospital inpatient setting is, you know, where can I grow my, you know, my professional development and, and move into this outpatient or post-acute care CDI is really understanding that outpatient reimbursement is it, it functions differently than inpatient and learning about that. And then each different setting like home health, um, like hospice, like skilled nursing, each of those have different specific requirements different um, documentation that they have to fill out related to the reimbursement. And I think it's a really, it's a nice opportunity um, to, to, you know, grow our skill set and, and move beyond that inpatient setting. And, and um, very important to remember that there's different requirements, different problems. Um, think about, you know, the home healthcare setting generally there's not a provider involved in that daily care of in-home health. It's, it could be a nurse going out providing that home health, it could be a physical therapist. And so we want to make sure that that documentation is connected um, and based on the, the orders and that those, those required forms um, get completed uh, correctly and appropriately for appropriate reimbursement. Um, I think one of the, the important things for everyone to think about as they're moving beyond hospital acute care inpatient CDI is every setting in the outpatient setting or in the post-acute care setting, be it hospice or SNF or the emergency department or um, the physician practice, uh, everyone has different challenges and different reasons for needing CDI. So it's really important to have conversations about what's happening, um, you know, identifying those key stakeholders and one of those, and I feel really strongly about that, is finance. Um, 
this talking to those stakeholders about what's happening in that particular outpatient or post-acute care area. Um, I always found in, in my past life working in a hospital is talking with the folks in finance, they have a whole different spin on what's happening in a particular department or area of the hospital based on what they're seeing from a, a, a retrospective reimbursement side. So I think it's important that, you know, we're talking to providers, we're talking to the nursing teams in the different areas. Um, if it's home health, maybe we're talking to um, physical therapists. If it's hospice, we're talking to those individuals that are responsible for those hospitals that hospice care, but also always think about that full revenue cycle when you're implementing an outpatient CDI program so that you're you're making sure you're identifying the, the problem issues on the back end because a lot of times what's happening retrospectively will drive what you do concurrently to, to fix that in the process. All right, thank you. Very nice. Now, having said what you just said, that there are a lot of opportunities in the outpatient setting, where would you suggest that um, if a CDI department is expanding, where in your experience have you found, is there one area better than the other to start? Um, and you mentioned finances. Is that what a, what a facility would look at that would drive their choice? Or is there another reason that perhaps would have them expand to one area versus another? Um, that's a great question, Charm, and I think it's probably a question everybody has. Um, when we think about outpatient CDI, inpatient CDI was um, relatively confined, if you will. You know, one of the bigger questions we had was, do we just do Medicare C inpatient CDI or do we expand it to all payers? And you know, the the industry has been moving forward with that, and now you 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 look at, okay, let's do outpatient CDI. That's a, a really loaded question, um, is, you know, where do I start? And, this, and the same model is not going to apply in every setting. The same model or the model that you develop for outpatient CDI in the emergency department may not be the same model that you use for outpatient CDI in cardiac cath or in hospice because the challenges and the, the um, the opportunities are both different. There's both challenges and there's opportunities. Um, I, you know, I was thinking of the cardiac cath lab, and one of the things we ran into um, was those patients, those Medicare patients receiving a cardiac cath for chest pain. And at the end of the cardiac cath, we still had a diagnosis of chest pain. They didn't find anything. Um, well, there's a problem there related to medical necessity. Uh, I think some of the things you run into in outpatient CDI is there's a lot of crossover between utilization review and CDI and making sure the patient meets medical necessity for whatever setting they're in and not just initially that they meet medical necessity as long as they're in that setting. If you think of skilled nursing, inpatient rehab, um, hospice care. There's very specific guidelines around the types of patients that can be seen in hospice and are they still meeting that that um, criteria um, at the back end of their stay as well as the front end. So I think, um, you know, uh, deciding which outpatient CDI area to start with is probably um, some guided discovery, if you will, is what's going on in your organization. And it might be a conversation with you know, the HIM director or the coding staff or quality. There's all kinds of different places and, you know, you it's, it was kind of like ICD-10 when we were 
um, educating about ICD-10, when we started to lift up lots of rocks in our organization, it's like, wow, everybody uses our coded data. And I think in organizations, when you start asking the questions about where do we start with outpatient CDI, you'll get all kinds of information, and that'll help prioritize where you start. Well, thank you. That, that, that's a great answer. Thank you very much. Certainly. Great stuff. So, Kathy, I've had a chance to, you know, look at your, see your slide deck you're going to be presenting next week, and I know that only tells some of the story, but maybe you could talk out just a little bit more about what you, what, what our conference attendees can expect to hear next week in Las Vegas. You know, we didn't really even get into the ambulatory piece, and I see you've got a lot of information on HCCs and risk adjustment, and you've got a great co-presenter, uh, Dr. Beth Wolf, whom I know from Roper St. Francis. You guys are going to be kind of sharing a case study from that hospital, or or just sort of splitting things, and maybe maybe just give a little taste of what else we can expect to see. Certainly, thanks, Brian. Um, I I think the the one thing you mentioned there was HCCs and risk adjustment, and um, you know that's currently a real buzz in the industry. And what I'm finding is. Um, you know, I had someone say to me the other day, and they said, well, we don't have to worry about HCCs because we do inpatient coding or we do rehab coding. And it's really important in HCCs in their very simplest terms is HCCs apply in absolutely every setting. And, um, and what I found interesting about HCCs and someone told told me and I it was very it was very good so in this industry all of us and probably all of us that are listening today we we think about encounters for the patient you know their inpatient encounter their emergency department encounter their physical therapy encounter and HCCs we really have to look at the full patient and and what it what happens is from January 1st till December 31st every time that patient is seen in any setting all of those secondary diagnoses, if they're if they belong into an HCC category, are collected for that patient, and then it determines their reimbursement for the next year. So, um, HCCs apply in any any setting. So I think a, an awareness of that is really important, and so I just kind of keep reinforcing that. Um, we will delve into um, several different post-acute care settings related to outpatient or continuing CDI, and uh, I think. Anyone who attends the presentation next week will, I would, I would say, attend because Dr. Wolf is going to be um, presenting with me. She's, she's awesome. She's been involved on the HIM medical record CDI side in her organization at Roper St. Francis for many years, and she has a lot of experience in, in palliative care and hospice. And so I don't think we have a specific case study um, that we're going to look at. Um, I, specifically, but I, I know Beth has lots of experience and, and different stories related to documentation and CDI that she'll um, weave into the presentation throughout the whole presentation. And really, she is she's one of those presenters that it's it's a lot of fun to listen to her, um, and you know she's got great great experience. So I think everyone who attends that presentation will really enjoy listening to Dr. Wolf. Yeah, I agree. She is great. Sold it I think well. they'll enjoy listening to you. <laughs> oh, thanks, Charm. I don't know Dr. Wolfen, but I'm going to tell you, listening to you today, I would come listen to you. Well, thanks. Well, yeah, and and Dr. Wolf and I have worked together quite a bit, and we we really really tag team nicely together. Well, that's that's a bonus then. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
Well, thank you, Kathy, again. We're going to uh, jump back to our poll here again, and I'll be pulling up these results now again. Um, we did ask folks, have, if, have you expanded your CDI department to include the post-acute setting? So 9% have um, in the ambulatory clinics and services space. That's actually pretty consistent with some of the other polling we've done about ambulatory CDI. 3% uh, say they have into the rehab and or skilled nursing space. Uh, no one's in home health, at least not enough to register a 1% um, from our listening audience. We've got a little over 500 folks that are listening today. Uh, most are, most have not, 82% no. And uh, of course, 6% not applicable. Not everyone is who's listening is working in a CDI department at the moment or is in a hospital setting. So um, those are your results. Any, any comments, Kathy? Do these results surprise you? Uh, not particularly, but I think it also shows um, that outpatient CDI is big. It's, it's, you know, it's the elephant that we have to eat one bite at a time, if you will. You know, we think about outpatient CDI as like, let's just do it. Well, where do we start? And I think maybe that 82% know if you're considering outpatient CDI, it's like start some of that guided discovery is where are our largest opportunities or our largest risk? You know, if there's a high rate of denials in one particular outpatient area, that might be a great place to start. Um, so I, I, you know, hopefully we'll see those numbers start to shift over the next um, 12 to 24 months that people start implementing outpatient CDI, there's certainly some opportunity. Yeah. Any thoughts from you here, Sharm? I, I agree. And I, and I will tell you, just being able to travel around the country, it is the buzz of the day. So I think that that 82%, I agree, 12 to 24, I think we're going to see it move into the spotlight. Um, I'm not sure of the time frame, but it, it's going to come from the back burner to the front soon. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Um, I'm going to go ahead and move to our uh, in the news segment of the show. So this is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. As I mentioned briefly at the end of last week's program, uh, CMS just released the 2018 IPPS proposed rule in the on uh, in the April 12th Federal Register. You can read it in its entirety at the Federal Register website. Um, I've got it pulled up here and to a specific page, but the URL is here, and as I always do, I'll put that in the show notes at the end of the show, so you can go ahead and, and read all 1,500 pages at your leisure. Um, the rule is lengthy, does include many proposed changes. Uh, I wanted to just to share one of these. Again, this is proposed, so I want to, again, state that this is not a final change, but it is being proposed, and it actually looks like it's going to happen, at least if you read between the lines and read what CMS is saying about it. Uh, but this is a proposal by a former ACTUS Advisory Board member, James Kennedy. Um, he had requested, he's not mentioned it here by name, but I know this is his, his comment, uh, that CMS add the ICD-10 CM codes currently assigned to MSDRGs 067 and 068, which are nonspecific cerebrovascular accident pre-cerebral occlusion without infarction in 069, which is the TIA, um, basically move those to MSDRG version 35 grouper logic for 061, 062, and 063. Um, essentially, this, you know, and he, this is explained a little more in an article on justcoding.com, 
um, Kennedy had put this proposal uh, request in with CMS so that hospitals can receive additional revenue needed to defray the cost of that uh, it's an administration of TPA, tissue plasminogen activator, um, when the final result is that a stroke was prevented by that intervention of TPA. Uh, that's a special DRG that's been around since 2005. Uh, before, additional payments were made only if the principal diagnosis was a cerebral infarction. Um, you know, there's, there's a really nice case made in here, though, of how that that these cases should actually be grouping to a higher weighted DRG. Uh, CMS pulls out the um, some of the analysis here and some tables, which I recommend taking a look at. And really, um, you can see how all cases here, and this is the average length of stay and the average cost. And, if, and with TPA, you can clearly see much higher uh, cost is, in, is involved. Um, it makes a really nice case for how, why this DRG shift should occur. And CMS um, does say in the rule, they, they actually acknowledge that. And um, they write the results of the analysis, the data, and the advice of our clinical advisors support adding those diagnosis codes um, to the list of principal diagnoses in 061, 062, and 063 to better account for this subset of patients who were successfully treated with TPA to prevent a stroke. Um, it's a nice piece of, 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 an, of, of analysis done by CMS, you know, spurred on by Dr. Kennedy, and I wanted to thank him for the work. Um, I would say to go ahead and, and check out this rule. You know, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot in here. Um, in short, you know, CMS is recommending a 1.6% increase in operating payments in the rule. There's a ton of information there about DRG changes, like I've just talked about, one of them. Um, there is a proposed movement of some non-OR, uh, excuse me, of some OR procedures to non-OR procedures. We've ACTUS actually identified some of those errors in grouping logic um, this past year. And there's stuff about quality in here. It's it's quite extensive, but worth reading through. Again, this is the proposed phase. I will just add that CMS is allowing folks to comment on the rule through June 13th, 2017. Um, still some plenty of time to go ahead and do that, and they do listen to your comments. Uh, we, we're planning on comment, um, act this as an association on some of these changes, and uh, there are some significant ones in here. Just wanted to share that. Um, I'll just quickly ask Kathy and Sharm, do you guys have any comments um, on this proposed change or on the IPPS proposed rule in general? I know. Kathy, I know that you have been intimately involved with you know, looking at the rule in the past, and um, it's just out, but if you have any thoughts, we'd be interested in hearing from you. Yeah, I, you know, Brian, I would agree with you when you, you encourage people to, um, you know, look through it, and it is extensive. It's, you know, if you have insomnia, it's really good reading. Um, it, there's a lot, a lot of information there. But they, you know, CMS does take those comments and, you know, include them in that final decision making. So if there's an area of concern that you see that you feel really strongly about and you, you can make a case for, I would encourage you to um, comment. And I, I also I'm happy to see that they're addressing you know some of those grouper logic issues. We've been having some of those since the conversion to ICD-10. And um, you know things are starting to come together. They have ICD-10 data, so they're able to make 
better grouper decisions, if you will. So it's nice to see that they continue to address those. Mm -hmm. I agree. Anything with you, Sharm? Before we wrap up, I am actually thrilled with Dr. Kennedy's proposal. I I'm honestly think it's about time. That's a that patient gets a lot of care, and like you said, the length of stay increases. So I think that is something that we should definitely get reimbursed for. Um, yeah. And I really think people need to get involved. Inaction is yeah. in action. So we want to make sure that we're reading it, and we are putting in our two cents. Right. I know it's 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 actually pretty easy to do, having done it a couple times. It's, they have a nice form you fill out and submit it. And yeah, don't be frightened might, by it. You might feel like it goes into the ether and goes away, but they they actually CMS does actually review these, um, and and it has and it, you can make a difference. All right, let's um let's wrap up here with our Actus update. Again, Actus update is a regular feature bringing you the latest updates on what's going on inside of Actus. Today I'd like to remind our members about the release of a couple of um, new publications available to ACTUS members. Those include the release of the March-April edition of the uh, CDI Journal, I'm showing you guys a little preview of it now, as well as we have our, our most recent salary survey has been published. So those are both available on uh, ACTUS.org. If you go to our publication section, you will find the journal here. If you go to our resource library, you will find uh, the salary survey under surveys that I'm showing right now. Um, you know, just briefly, the, the journal is a every other month publication. It's electronic only. Um, and it's um, this particular issue is focused on CDI and its role in quality initiatives. We've got a nice little uh, feature here that allows you to view uh, the publication like a digital magazine if you haven't checked this out. Um, get some nice articles by board members in here, Sam Antonio, so recent board member Cheryl Erickson, really focused around quality, uh, you know, some of the quality metrics that CDI can impact, hospital readmissions reduction program, value-based purchasing, etc. cetera. Uh, definitely check it out. As, as you know, Actus members can earn one CEU if they read the journal and take uh, the, the post-journal quiz. So check that out. Um, finally, just wanted to mention our ACTUS salary survey and, and uh, a lot here to go through. I won't attempt to do so on the call, but um, just want you to know that that's out. We have some of the analysis here, but if you scroll down to the bottom of the screen, um, you will find all of the data in the survey itself available right here as a download just pull that open for you quickly and this is the salary survey itself all right okay so with that we are going to um, go ahead and wrap up today's edition of Actus radio you know the next time we're going to be back on the airwaves it will be after our 10th annual conference in Las Vegas Kathy and I were just chatting beforehand and this is it is sort of like pulling off a, a major wedding. Think of the biggest wedding you've ever been to times three, and that's probably what, what the Actus Conference is, a ton of work. I am actually just wanted to get here uh, at this time. You know, um, really looking forward to it, though. It's, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's also the most exhilarating time of year for me because I get to meet our members, which isn't um, something I get to do all the time. So um, I'll be the guy in the suit. At the MGM Grand, if you uh, come up and say hi, 
Um, if you're not attending, of course, we'll be back again in two weeks with a post-conference recap. I'm going to have one of our speakers on, uh, Ronald Hirsch, who's going to give some information about important regulatory updates for CDI professionals, so stay tuned for that. Uh, as always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, please send me an email. You can reach me at bmurphy at actus.org. That'll do it, everyone. Thanks again to Kathy and Charm, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Take care, everyone. <laughs>